Hey, it's Matt Bovee from It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. This NFL offseason, we can fit 25 hours in a day, and that's because of podcasts that make you more productive. When you're folding laundry, paying bills, making omelets, or any other tasks that you've got to get done, listen while you work. Do your chores and be entertained all at the same time. It's all about the bills, the news, insight, analysis, and of course, some jokes too, on demand, so it fits into your busy schedule. Follow the It's Always Game Day in Buffalo podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. A city that has really been starving for a championship and the only team that's really given this city a championship for a long time, the Buffalo Bandits. 15 years ago, they do it again. And we're going to start with that, saying congratulations, Buffalo Bandits, on this episode of It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. Sal Capaccio, Matt Bove. Matt, you were there in the building. Keybank Center, I was there game one. You were there game three. Absolute party, it seemed like, on TV. And it was just awesome to see. Electric atmosphere. Really, really cool. Honestly, a little anticlimactic because it was such a route. Like by middle third quarter, you knew that the bandits were going to run away with it. So at that point, it just kind of felt like what I was thinking in my head, what would the thing that compares to this feel like? And obviously we're talking about a very different scale, but I always remember my dad talking about 51 to three and knowing they were going to a Super Bowl. And I know you were at that game as well. And just being like, okay, we're about to do this. So it was just kind of like building up. And then for me, it's the Patriots game. It's the wild card game against the Patriots where at halftime, you knew the bills were winning that game and it was going to be a blowout. So Of course, these are different magnitude things, but if you are a big Bandits fan, really, really cool to be able to see your team go into halftime with a two-goal lead and then come out in the third quarter and just dominate and then build off of that. I'm not saying that I deserve all the credit, but in 2008, (laughs) I was there with two of my very good friends. I went back to the game on Saturday night with those same two people and they won again. So I guess maybe if they're ever in the championship, I got to go with the same group of three guys and they'll just win and we can bet all of our money on it because we know it's going to happen. That's pretty cool. You got to see a couple championships. It's just something we haven't been able to see in Buffalo in other sports, right? I mean, obviously the Bills have never won a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. They did win, win a couple AFL titles the last couple of years of the AFL before the merger. So there are people maybe listening to this right now, watching this right now who remember that. I know I know people that remember that. Um, The Sabres have never won a Stanley Cup. They've been to a couple. We know that. But, you know, the Bandits, as much as I think, you know, lacrosse is a, what do you you want to call it, a second tier below? Niche. A niche Niche. sport. It's a niche sport. Yeah, I I don't know how to say it without making it sound like, I'm not downing it at all because I think in Buffalo, it resonates so much. Mm -hmm. And my son's a lacrosse player. It just, he loves it. And it's become such a great sport around the country that's really kind of grown so much. Um, I think that even though it's a niche sport, it's really kind of become more in the forefront over the last several years, especially over the last 10 years or so at the youth levels. And now you're seeing these professional lacrosse players who are becoming, you know, getting uh, endorsement deals and on your TVs and people recognizing them. And it's super cool. So I love it. I love it for John Tavares as the head coach, obviously. Uh 
I love it for Dane Smith and everybody else uh, for the uh, Buffalo Bandits and also love it for the Pagulas and Kim Pagula, especially Matt. I yeah. think it's really cool that um, they, they have a championship. You know, I don't know enough about lacrosse and maybe this is just like a completely out there opinion, but I wonder if that because there is the National Lacrosse League and now there's the PLL, if yeah. it kind of takes away from each other a little bit because you have those two leagues, like other major sports are not dealing with that. It's not like the NFL is dealing with the NFL and then another not rival league, but another football league that is nearly at the same level, like the PLL and the NLL, I guess, depending on what person you ask, like which one is the more premier league for lacrosse? Are you somebody who's a purist and thinks that it should be played outside? Or do you like the high pace, high excitement way that it's played inside in the NLL? And for me, as somebody who's not a massive lacrosse person, like I find box lacrosse really, really exciting, really entertaining. And that's what the Bandits have done so well. It's an entertaining product. It's a fun product. Like you go to those games and you have a very good time. Regardless of your age, you're going to leave that game having a fun time. So it was really cool to see all of these people having a ton of fun and it to result in a championship and kudos to them. And you know, it's Buffalo. It's a small city. There's tons of crossover here. These guys are Bills fans. There's Bills fans and Bills players who were at the game there. You know, they have a massive roar, a massive pop and explosion when they put McDermott and Kyrie Elam and Dalton Kincaid on the Jumbotron. Same thing for Alex Tuck and Don Granado and Kevin Adams and Kyle Oposo because they were there as well. And like you said, I do not want to take anything away from this, but I found myself sitting there. And this is also because it's what we do. I found myself sitting there just thinking what it would be like if they ever won a Super Bowl just or a Stanley Cup. But uh-huh. I just sit there and I think to myself, like, what would it be like in this city if that ever happened? It would be so cool. It was an amazing celebration to watch. I know you were there. I'm sure it was uh-huh. awesome to be there just to watch on TV, the trophy, the presentation, everybody going crazy, all the videos that are coming out from it. And you're right. The comparison in to what your dad told you to me would be right. 51 to three. I was there to bring it to football here, which is it was a party inside yeah. then rich stadium at the time, the current Highmark stadium. And at halftime it was 41 to three. You knew the bills were going to their first Super Bowl. I hadn't been there yet. Right. And I remember, Matt, I always tell you, I always say this, that the, the thing that re- resonates resonates with me is the chance of thank you bills. Thank you, Bills, and Super Bowl, Super Bowl, and thank you, Ralph. Thank you, Ralph, or Ralph Wilson. And it was a party. Everybody knew they were going to the Super Bowl. It was totally cool. And as much as it was anticlimactic, as you said, there was no drama involved. It was still unbelievable because afterwards, everybody just had a great time hugging each other. And the the and the beer was flowing, but I was a senior yeah. in high school, so the beer wasn't flowing with me. You know what I mean? So, But the beer was flowing uh, for that. Hey, did you, real quick, did you have uh, lacrosse in high school at Niagara Wheatfield? Oh, yeah. We, well, Wheatfield, the Niagara Wheatfield High School is directly across the street from a reservation. So oh, we have very good lacrosse yes. just because obviously lacrosse Native to Native, Native Americans yep. means so much more than to a lot of people. So, yeah, we always had a very good team. When I was growing up, the other teams that I remember that were very good were Hamburg, and I still believe they are good, and Orchard Park. Those were like the teams that kind of Wheatfields competed against. But, yeah, Wheatfields very legit like a lot of guy, a lot of guys that i went to high school with played collegiately a couple at syracuse and a couple all over the Love country it. and stuff well 
I did not know anything about lacrosse until I got to Syracuse, believe it or not. I yeah. grew up, we did not have lacrosse really much in high school at all in Buffalo, especially anything outside of the really big high schools. And I went to a smaller high school, Cleveland Hill and Chictawaga. We didn't have lacrosse. But when mm-hmm. I got to Syracuse and they were so good, and that's Gary and Paul Gate, and you know they're winning national championships, and you're like, oh, my God, this is an amazing game. And I have to tell you, once I saw that game, I'm like, I think this would have been my game. Like I'm shorter. I'm faster. I'm not the tallest dude. I'm, I'm fast. I'm coordinated. All uh-huh. that kind of stuff. Like, I think that would have been my game, but you know what? I, I guess I missed the boat. I was too early. So we didn't have it. Just make it Max's game. Hopefully it, it becomes Max's good. game then. And then Max's you fun. can, you know, watch him go up the ranks and just get attacked by people <laughs> with metal poles as he's running down the field. These guys just beat the crap out of each other. It's incredible. Well, we have uh, we've done that. Buffalo Youth Lacrosse does a really good job, but a lot of youth lacrosse places around the uh, area do. All right, it's always game day in Buffalo. Sal Capaccio, Matt Bovey, congratulations to the Buffalo Bandits. Awesome, their fifth championship, one for the thumb. All right, fifth championship for the Buffalo Bandits. The Buffalo Bills making news the same day as uh-huh. they sign, or at least reportedly agree to a contract extension with defensive tackle Ed Oliver. At the time of us recording right now, here it is on Sunday evening. The Bills have yet to announce the extension. I'm sure that it will happen at some point. So it is just a report right now from several NFL insiders, including Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport and others. The numbers from Schefter are four years, 68 million, 45 guaranteed. We don't know how that breaks down. We'll talk about all that in a minute and what it all means. But let's just go with your initial reaction to Ed Oliver gets a contract extension. When you saw that, how did it hit you, Matt? Surprised was not anticipating this news at all. Usually when these deals happen, you're kind of like, okay, I knew it was going to happen. I just didn't know when. I think of the other like big extensions that have happened for the Bills the last several years. And I think of Josh Allen happening. Like we always knew Josh was getting a contract. Stefan Diggs happening. We always knew a a Diggs extension was coming. Milano, like we didn't know it was going to happen, but then when it did, it was like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Ed Oliver was a player I think a lot of Bills fans had kind of moved on from. And for him to now be here through 2025 caught me by surprise. I'm not saying it's a bad move by any stretch. I think he's a really good player. I think Ed Oliver is an overlooked and underappreciated player by a lot of people. That being said, it's a lot of money. And I know how it compares to other interior defensive linemen. And it's kind of, we have to see all the figures yet. And we don't know those at this moment. I know it's kind of like a middle of the road. Okay. Like you're a really good player in the league, but you're not the best of the best. It's just a lot of money to be tied up to a guy who has flashed, but who has not consistently been that dominant force in the middle of the defensive line that I think we both think he's capable of doing. I agree with that. I think I agree with pretty much everything you said, as far as the surprise angle to it. And the biggest reason why I was surprised is because I don't think he's I don't think to this point the Bills have felt that he earned an extension, that they wanted to see him play out his final year, then they'll deal with it, right? And if he plays incredible, they can always franchise tag him. They can find a way to an extension then. Um, There were some things on social media he tweeted and cryptically a while back, and I'm like, come on, man. Like, you haven't lived up to your ninth overall billing. Although, when you say that, you think about some of the performances he had, like against the Dallas Cowboys on Thanksgiving and some other games along the way. He was playing tremendous football last year, and then Von Miller got hurt, and he dipped. And I think that's where it lies with that Oliver, Matt, which is when he has other people around him and he has to be uh, single-teamed, I think he could be dominant and he can really penetrate. When he's getting double-teamed because you can focus on him, I think that's when he loses a lot of what his value is. So I think that was, to me, a bit of a surprise that he hasn't been able to kind of be that consistent force, and I don't know if he ever necessarily will be. But 
I think the reason they got it done here and the reason they did this is they are caught between a rock and a hard place, right? Yep. So Ed Oliver is going into the final year of his contract. He was scheduled to make $10.8 million, and that was all going to go against the salary cap. The only way to get rid of that money was either to A, cut him, but then you're going to eat the money. You, I sh- shouldn't say that. If You could cut him, but you wouldn't get rid of the money. Like he's, mm-hmm. He would count that. It's guaranteed. So you're not going to cut him. You know that. The only way to get rid of the money was to trade him. No team was trading for Ed Oliver with one year left on his deal. You could work out and they could sign an extension, but I think that's very rare. Probably wouldn't happen at that state at that price. They'd have to take it on. So the only other thing they could do to lower his cap number was to sign him to an extension. So I think that was the reason you do this. You lower mm-hmm. his cap number. You say, let's do it. Let's sign him to extension and let's bank on us getting him better and him being better and more consistent. This is not a bad player. He's not a bum by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. We're going to bank on him getting more consistent and better and being a core piece of our defense for a while while we lower his cap number, which to me was the number one reason why you do this. Well, and I also think when you talk about a player, he's 25 years old. So he is still entering the prime of his career. And we've talked about it on the podcast several times. They did not have a defensive tackle signed for the future. After this season, all of these guys came off of the books. Their best defensive tackle is Ed Oliver. Now, there's other guys who really make an impact. But Ed Oliver, if you were looking down the road and you were like, okay, you can keep one of the – take the money out of it. And obviously, he costs a lot. You would say, okay, we would want to keep Ed Oliver because of the age and because of the potential that's there. I like the player a lot. But now that he has this contract tied to him, I think we need to see – it doesn't need to be like a drastic leap because that would mean that he's not a very good player. And I don't agree with that, but I think we need to see a small step in the right direction of a little bit more consistently flashing a little bit more consistent producing because at that money, you don't have to be a game wrecker, but you have to be somebody that impacts the game consistently. And with Von Miller there, he was doing that when Von Miller got hurt in the Detroit game, he took over that game. He was maybe their best player in that game. After that, though, the defensive line really as a whole slipped a little bit. Also, don't overlook the fact that now that Sean McDermott is kind of calling the shots defensively, I'm sure that he was very involved with these contract negotiations and saying, like, this is a player we need to have here. This is a player we need to be building around. I mean, this is a lot of money they just gave this guy. Like, this money, it's not a perfect comparison, but you could have used it to sign Tremaine Edmonds. and. You didn't. You ended up going with that Oliver. So clearly they think there's a lot of value there, and they also value the position. It's a really good point you just made about McDermott. Not direct negotiations with the agent, but you're right. Yeah. I'm sure he has voice had a lot of influence on what the player is going forward and where he is in his career and what, how they're going to use him, right? So I think it's a really good point because we don't know. Maybe they do have a different plan for him, and McDermott feels that there's something about this defense that will really allow him to flash even more and be more consistent. So we'll see where that goes. But you brought up the money. Talk about where he lands. This is this is a little bit of massaging some numbers too. So let's talk about that. Let's get into it and talk about his his numbers and where this goes and where this leads the team. 